Hello, this is Barry White, the R&B <laughs> singer here at Glen Allen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, January 21st, 2024. Hi, I'm Grant, the executive pastor at Glen Allen Bible Church. Hi, I'm Simone Helpin, the co-founder and executive director of Naomi's House. And I'm Kelly Brady, senior pastor at Glen Allen Bible. Thanks for tuning in to the Next Level. I'm just teasing, and this is Matt. <laughs> this is really Matt, the worship pastor. Woo, man. Head cold time, huh? <clears throat> yeah. Yep, made it through both services yesterday. You did, because service was beautiful and amazing, and you sounded <sighs> great. Oh, uh, that's because <laughs> I was now. backing off the mic. <laughs> Simone, did you get to pray with some folks? You oh were down my front? gosh, it was busy. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Ooh, that's fun. It yeah. is. It's always really encouraging. <clears throat> Even though the, a lot of times the prayer requests are hard and heavy, it's still very encouraging to like, you know, share, yeah, share that yeah. burden with somebody. Yeah, I, it's one of my favorite things to do, pray with folks after, or during mm-hmm. the close the service, it just feels like such a privilege for people to invite you into that space mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and get to yeah, bring their requests to the Lord for them. Just think about how much courage, and sometimes, right, people don't have the strength to make those prayer requests, so to be able to mm-hmm. love them in that way, I love doing that. How was popular for you? It was good. Um, I felt good energy in the good. room, which is fun. They like to worship up there, which is always nice. I watched um, your sermon. You had them laughing couple jokes in there. You got yeah. jokes? Yeah. Uh, someone texted me afterwards. I made a, a comment on, um, you know, we, we can't, it's irrational to say that uh, doing more good than bad, it can like <laughs> make a, a judgment. So I made this joke, like if I came home with two of my three kids from the amusement park, Laura won't be like, well, at least we got two thirds. Um, and I got some texts about that afterwards. <laughs> so um, I've never left my kids knowingly someplace. So. <laughs> A little defensive, are we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, it was, it was a good time. I I really enjoy preaching. I was um, mentioning to Kelly this morning earlier, the study and prep for it. Each time I really like it, but this one in particular was really good for my soul. So um, that was encouraging. Let's jump in, Matt. All right. Now let's get into some questions. First one. Love this new series. Today's message made me wonder about how upset I should really be if I sin. After all... If I've been saved by God's grace, apart from anything I do, then I can see some feeling. I can see some feeling as though sin is a means for knowing grace. Yeah, Grant, you'd actually brought this up um, as we talked a little or texted after services yesterday. Just um, the notion that, well, you know, Paul said, "Where sin increased, grace increased all the more." So why sweat the sin? Like, should we really be upset if we're sinning? <laughs> if grace is, if God's grace is always greater. And Paul actually addresses that directly in Romans 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And so his point is that we shouldn't uh, willfully continue to sin simply so that God's grace would abound to us Um just at a brass tax level, I would say, you know, sin is contrary to the person of God. It's contrary to his character and his purposes. So it grieves him and it will grieve God's people. It, it's actually, I know we're ac- asking this question at an academic level. Well, should we really feel bad about our sinfulness? Should we, should we worry about it or try to stop sinning? Uh, we're asking kind of an academic level. The truth is those who've been born again, will not continue to sin. It will actually grieve us. It will, it'll bother us. Um, 
the more we sin, the more trouble we're going to have, I should say, as well. Um, and not only does it grieve God and grieve his people, because the Spirit's present in us, but it actually brings trouble into our lives. Um, sin always brings death, um, and there's, there's just no way to pretend sin is good. Um, it's like a, a, one of our elders famously used to say, I beat my head against a wall because it feels so good when I stop. Well, just don't beat your head against the wall and you'll be that much ahead, right? So saying that, you know, I'm going to continue sin, sinning so I can know God's grace. Well, we could actually live in grace. We, we don't have to sin to know his grace. We can actually live in it. So I do think, I, I will say as an aside, I wrote down here, I, I do think some people fixate on their sin in unproductive ways. So don't think about a, you know, a purple unicorn. I'm not going to think about a purple unicorn. And it's, it's, I actually think it's part of the deception. So while, <clears throat> while we should, should not pretend sin doesn't matter, it matters. Neither should we fixate on our sin. We should fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, we should fixate on Christ and, and his goodness to us. I, I've had times in my life where I was trying to uh, stop a sin, and I was so focused on the sin, there's no possible way I was going to stop it. Like, I wasn't actually allowing God's grace to minister to me. So. Yeah, I think maybe it's a pastoral-like thing that happens or just whatever, something pastors say a lot, but uh, it has been at least true in my life, and I've shared with other folks, um, I would much rather run towards Jesus, become like Christ, and let him strip away those other things than just focus on, like, trying to get rid of something. Uh, it, it's just not played out super well when I get um, preoccupied with trying to, to fight the sin on my own versus am I becoming more like Christ and letting him fight the sin for me. Sin leads to death. <clears throat> so there's nothing... I keep thinking about the analogy of the head beating against the wall, and it actually resonated with me in some sense <laughs> in the way that you you can't have the contrast of not having pain in your life if you if you haven't gone through pain. Mm -hmm. So in part, it makes a little bit of sense, although it sounds painful, physically painful. Mm -hmm. um, and it goes back to if you don't know what you're saved from, mm -hmm. it's harder, it could be harder to celebrate mm -hmm. the newness we have in Christ because of salvation. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's an answer to the question. I just am thinking about the head analogy <laughs> and how re being reminded of what we're saved from mm. is a lot of times just continues to generate that freedom and mm. beating the head against the wall will, will lead to death. You will eventually kill yourself. Right. It's the same idea with sin. Sin leads to death. There will be nothing productive in the end if you continue in your sin. Mm. Yeah. I think, it, I mean, someone would be forgetting like we had to be rescued from their sin. Mm -hmm. I don't need to go back to the thing that I had to be rescued from. Um, I, an African proverb, I remember it from an African lit class is, why would I get out of the bed and lay on the ground? Mm. You know, just the insanity of uh, going to an unproductive place. Mm -hmm. yep. And sin is actually the, the, is suicide. It's, it's willfully acting in a way that you know will bring death. It's, yeah. it's, it can be death mm -hmm. by a thousand cuts. It can be many, many tiny willful acts mm -hmm. of sin, but it's, it's never productive. Mm -hmm. And it's always helpful just to remind anybody who's listening who's stuck 
and habitual sin that mm. you just, in your own efforts, have not had success walking away from or getting out of or what. And if that is someone who's listening, just to remind that person that there's professional help, there's pastoral help, there's community around people who need that accountability and further support than just the willpower. Because willpower... It's only one element of our freedom. Yeah, my willpower is awful. Right. So... You know, we talk about that a lot. Kelly, when you... What you brought up about the evidence... And if you're not putting sin to death and that's evidence that the spirit's not at work in your Mm -hmm. life. um, And why would you want that Mm -hmm. to be evident? Right. We don't want that. But also on this side of heaven, like I want like like God's trying to make us more holy, more like him. And if you're sinning, uh, that's less like him. That's Mm -hmm. less holy. Mm -hmm. And so like, I want to know God as good as I can know, as well as I can know God now. I want to be walking with the Lord more joy, now. More peace. I want to hear from more him clearly freedom. now. In in my experience, when sin when you're when sin is left unchecked, you just don't you you may very well have the spirit of God in you. You may be saved, all of that. But man, those times in life where where sin is left unchecked, I'm just I feel I feel disconnected from God. I feel like I'm not hearing. I feel like I'm not walking with him. Um, and life is so much richer and better. Good. When you're mm-hmm. walking closely with him, so mm-hmm. put it to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the next one, I was sad to learn that the Catholic Church teaches that works are necessary for justification, which is contrary to what we read in Romans 3. Is there a reason it is hard for many Catholic Christians to grasp salvation by grace alone? Do you have any tips for sharing salvation by grace alone with Catholic Christian friends? Yeah, I, I think one of the reasons it's hard for Catholic Christians to grasp salvation by grace alone is because the Catholic Church isn't teaching salvation by grace alone. It is, um, it's a combination of the grace of God in sending Christ and then the, the works, the sacraments of participating in the church. Um, so um, there are performative expectations that are taught in the Catholic Church. And um, so... It's, um, it's a, at best, and Catholic churches vary, so I'm talking about, they vary from parish to parish. Uh, some emphasize grace more than others, yeah. um, and then some emphasize works more than others. Um, but the, 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 the official doctrine of the Catholic church is a combination of God's grace and, and human effort for the result of salvation. And so I think that's why it's hard for folks to grasp it. And we should take this opportunity to say half of DuPage County self-describes as Catholic. So there are a million people in the county, 500,000 in the census, the government census self-describe as Catholic. They mark the Catholic box. That's a significant uh, proportion of our population. And so there's a great opportunity to minister grace and, um, and minister it in a radical way. I, my proposal is simply that if you, if you have Catholic friends that you, you're concerned they don't understand the, the good news of the gospel, just uh, talk with them. Uh, ask them about Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, and Romans 3, 21 to 31. Ask them, hey, give me your take on this. Um, and these, you know, these verses paint the, the radical nature of God's grace in, in a vivid, brilliant color. So, yeah, it's, it's rare to, 
it's rare to talk to a Catholic that is really dialed in with their catechism. Yes. But when you do, it's, you can have these conversations. I, I, I suspect that most Catholics that you meet, if you brought up what you're, what you're talking about, they'd be, they'd be like, what, what do you, what do you mean? What? Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. You, and right. you know, you might, yeah. well, you know, that's not what the church Yeah, the teaches. church actually teaches. Yeah. And I think most, but man, when you have a conversation with someone who is pretty connected with their catechism, it, it's, it can get pretty heated. Yeah. Bob Thomas, uh, one of the parishioners and former elders at Glowing Bible Church, uh, he was in worship yesterday. His story, he and Maggie have come into faith in Christ is powerful because they came out of Catholicism and they literally, he tells a great story. They used to watch a Catholic priest on television. Have you heard him tell this, Matt? Yes. So he watched this Catholic priest on television, yep. and, and I, if, I'm, if I goof this up, forgive me, Bob, but it was something like one year or one month, they were watching him thinking, wow, this priest is brilliant. <laughs> he's, he's moving through the, the, uh, the Catholic uh, doctrine with you know, effortlessness and seamlessness, and it makes so, so much sense how we are saved as we participate in the Catholic Church and we're, we're active. I think he, the priest might have even been debating with the even, an evangelical minister. A month later or a year later, and I can't remember which it is, they're watching the same television show. He's just channel surfing, comes to the same priest, and in the meantime, he's been born again. He has discovered grace, and he notes how his worldview has changed and how differently he, he now understands the gospel clarity that... It's apart from anything we do. It's complete grace. God's saving us. We're not saving ourselves. Yeah. And it's just, it's a beautiful story. You know, it's interesting over the last few years, I've been in the Catholic church that has felt really beautiful and really sweet. And I've been in a Catholic church that just felt cultish. Mm. It, it's amazing. how, And I'm, I'm sure the same is true for we Bible churches, the, right? Well, we like, could say the same for Protestant churches. If right, we're not exactly. Careful. Right, right. <laughs> Um, but, but the Holy, I, maybe your point is the Holy Spirit is definitely present in some Catholic church or at work in Catholic churches. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's go to the next one. Is self-esteem always bad? I understood Kelly's point about the importance in Christ esteem and agree it is best, but shouldn't we all feel good about some achievements? Shouldn't we feel good about some achievements? Yeah, we should feel good about what God has allowed in our lives. We should celebrate. Um, one of the verses that has had a radical impact on my life is John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's Jesus's words. So I've really had to wrestle with, and it brings tremendous freedom when I agree with what Jesus says, because if it's, and it, because it's true, that apart from him, I can do nothing. That means everything I do good is a result of his grace at work in my life. And that brings me tremendous freedom. I can celebrate that. Um, he's at work and, and I can take, you know, if I do a good job as a parent, then I'm, I'm thankful for God's work in me. Or if, uh, as a preacher, as a friend, if I'm a good friend, I'm thankful for God's work in my life. And, and it's a blessing. So my esteem is ultimately rooted in Christ and who he is and what he's up to and what he's done and the spirit he's given me and the redemption he's working. And when he works something good in my life, 
then I count it as a blessing and it, it reminds me of his goodness. It, it doesn't puff up or it shouldn't. I have pride issues for sure. It, it shouldn't puff up my pride. It should actually be humbling. Why me? Why? And it should create a thankfulness and, a, and an ongoing gratitude. I was, <clears throat> I shared this already a little bit, but I was processing when you were sharing this point yesterday, <clears throat> how I heard a podcast earlier this week from a a Christian artist who I used to follow when I was younger. And he, he's gone through that journey of deconstructing his faith. Um, still proclaims Christ to this day, but looks at his, maybe doesn't consider himself an evangelical anymore, just has kind of gotten outside of his box, he would say. Um, and he said something in the podcast that I was remembering as you were sharing this point yesterday about how we teach our kids that they are in need of saving. And they, um, you know, without Jesus, we're broken. And you've, you've entered into this world broken. And um, he said it, it, it's leading, particularly this generation that we're raising now, um, to struggle within the church. And it's turning kids away from the church because um, it's, like a, it's like adding to this, they question their worth and value. And um, Some are even calling it spiritual abuse. Exactly, exactly. Right. Um, to say and, that... To tell your children you're, they're sinful, mm-hmm. some are saying that's spiritual abuse. Right. And I'm sure that there are po- times where it is. Um, good, good point. But I was kind of processing that as you were going through this part of the passage, and I thought, well, I've definitely talked to my kids about their sin. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's easy to do. Um, but I also tell them how worthy they are and how gifted they are and talented they are and how God has done has created them to do great things. And when I see them use those gifts for God's glory and for kingdom purposes, you know, we celebrate that. We talk about that. And, um, and so I was trying to like marry these two truths at the same time. Like, and I get it as an adult, but how do you shepherd and parent kids, um, or anybody who is new to the faith, how you can be both, how you can be both unworthy because of our sinful nature and our depravity, but yet highly valued, highly valued and worthy and created in God's image. Like how mm-hmm. do those work together? Mm. Yeah. I mean, especially in today's American, you know, soil, like kids are, they are so there medicated are yeah. and well, no, I just yeah. like the mm-hmm. state of kids, like they're more medicated than they've ever, they've ever been. They're more depressed than they've ever been. They're more, so like in, in with coaching football and basketball and all those things, like that's one of the first things I'm noticing. Hmm. These kids need confidence. They're fragile. They need confidence. Fragile. Like out of the 12 kids, there's two of them that's like, they're fine. <laughs> but all the other 10 of them, they need confidence. And so I spent like in this last round of basketball we did, and, and we had a, a few kids who were on the spectrum. And so you have to navigate that as well but the kids just needed confidence I mean we got blown out every game it was it was bad but then at the very last game they finally did the things that me and the other coach were were asking them to do which was all we were asking them to do was hustle yeah, was just sure. try hard and the last game I think we lost by six or seven but they hustled they got rebounds and you would have thought we won the game mm-hmm. by 20 points mm-hmm. And and all the parents were screaming and clapping because basically for three months, we just worked on these kids' confidence. Hmm. And so 
yes, and this is Park District, so I totally want to share the gospel. Totally want to say, hey, you're a sinner and blah, blah, blah. But like, that's not the starting point with these kids. Mm. The starting point is, man, you're awesome. Come on. Well, like, it, try hard. Like, let's go. You're going to feel better about yourself if you, if you left it all on the court, if you played as hard as you can play. Like, yeah, the starting point's it, you're made in the image of God. Right. Yeah, right. the starting point is God's given you two arms and two legs, and, and let's use them to play basketball. Isn't this fun? God's given you a body. This, the starting point is, you know, let's, we all have kids here, so you know, think of the gifting of your kids. And we used to take time at the kitchen table back when our kids were in the house, and we would, we would talk about one another's gifting and, and, and how God had uniquely empowered. And you know, with three kids, we have three very different sets of gifting and calling on their life. And we, so I would talk about, hey, God's gifted all of us uniquely, and he's called us. We're to use our gifts to contribute and, um, and when we contribute, and I'm, I was talking about in a work setting, because we all have a calling. Um, it's not just pastors who have a calling. So when we contribute, when we're working, we feel uh, part of the pleasure of God, because he's made us to work. Um, so I, I think you start with the image of God and noting the blessings and the, and the empowerment that God's given you kids. And then when they have achievement, um, I, you know, there's a celebration of what God has done in us. But oftentimes when you're hearing the gospel for the first time, it isn't starting with the image of God. Yeah. It's starting with all have fallen yeah. before, you know, all yeah. have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Mm -hmm. True. Mm -hmm. um, but it isn't always the starting point. And I, I wonder if I think some, we could do better there. Yeah. I wonder if some of that uh, is just how evangelism has developed mm -hmm. throughout history. Right. If we're starting at a point believing in ourselves, think like, I'm pretty great, mm -hmm. then I, I, it's probably reasonable to start like, actually, mm -hmm. you think pretty highly of yourself, but you, you've fallen short if you push on it. We're in a different cultural moment where people by and large mm -hmm. are probably coming to the table with the opposite idea. I'm, I'm garbage. Mm. Um, and so it is likely worth emphasizing, actually, you're an image bearer made um, made in the image of your father, and he wants to restore that. Yeah, the, the garbage, quote-unquote, you feel is um, a sin has marred what God intended for you to be, mm -hmm. um, and he's trying to restore that in you and calling them forward back to um, what's beautiful. And But, I, you know, just saying something otherwise, I, I feel like it's it would be telling a drowning person that they're not drowning, they're swimming, yeah, right? Good. Like, oh no, that's swimming. It's, <laughs> it's not very effective swimming, but you're, you're Yeah, it's, so it's self-confidence apart from Christ, I do think is probably negative um, in the sense that I, I don't want my kids thinking I can save myself. Yeah. Uh, well, I tried to get at that yesterday during my sermon. I tried to say, self-esteem can only take you so far. I'm made in the image of God. There are real things that I can feel good about, um, regardless of my faith background, whether Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or Christian, we're all made in the image of God. But a sense of esteem, if I'm actually trying to, to esteem my way out of my sinful predicament, it's only going to get me so far. At some point, I'm going to have to come to the end of myself and, and recognize I need God's care of my soul. I can't overcome the broken image. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
I know I'm the one who asked the question, but I also have maybe a, an answer. Yeah. <laughs> that I've, You've been mu- pondering it. Yeah. yeah, I've been pondering for sure. But I also, it played out yesterday, <clears throat> Saturday, in real life where um, our almost 15-year-old son um, went on a mission trip with mm. his school for Winterham. And he came back Saturday night just overflowing. Not dissimilar from when he went on a mission trip with GBC last summer. Um, and... It was a real, um, it was so special to Mm. watch him process and kind of live this out in real time, realizing that God has gifted him and given him things that he's passionate about, things that he loves. And when he is walking that out Mm -hmm. and he's being, you know, faithful to maybe a calling that God has on him or an opportunity to serve in this way, um, he feels real alive. He feels his question about, um, who he is and where he fits and, you know, all the stresses that come with being a teenager. Um, the way he's describing it is those are set aside. His doubts and his, you know, questions are set aside and he feels in the center of God's will and he feels alive and, and, and what we would say, it's not a self-esteem like he's done something great. He's just experiencing the fullness of walking in obedience with the spirit. Um, what a joy. Oh man, it was, I, I think I said something like, do you think you're, maybe God's calling you to be a missionary? And this is just between us. Okay. So and all the listeners. Right, yeah, don't tell anybody I told you this. And he looked at me and was like, maybe. And then my heart sank like, oh gosh, wait, what does that mean? You know, am I ever going to see you again? Um, but it was exciting to just watch God stir that in him. And um walk this out. Like be, go through a process of sanctification. He knows his shortcomings but he also was getting a taste of what it's like to walk in obedience with the spirit. And that will overcome, I think, the doubts and the, the desire to save yourself when you, when you have that um, experience with the spirit. Love it. I know, it's cool. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to the next one. I get it. The gospel is calling us to dependence upon Jesus rather than ourselves. But Jesus does expect obedience from his followers, which so quickly turns into religious practice. How are we to strive for obedience while avoiding a religious posture? Seems impossible. I would totally agree. We lapse into this all the time. We, uh, Simone and I, before the podcast, were just um, talking about the importance of rehearsing the gospel. That is a daily reminder that he loves us perfectly. He loves us as we are. He's growing us. He's at work in us. He's bringing us to maturity. This is his work. Um, We need that daily reminder because we... We live in a culture that demands performance. Kids meet with it at school. Employees meet it with it at work. We, we're judged and judge others constantly based on their behaviors. And so it's, it's the, we swim in a performative culture, and it's so easy to lapse into that with our relationship with our creator. So my remedies are let's rehearse the gospel daily. Let's memorize passages and say them and write them and talk about them that, that remind us of God's grace in our lives. And then I, I also in my prayer life will talk to God about my motives mm. when I find them shifting. Um, frankly, I'll make anything a point of conversation with God. So um, just telling him, God, I, I really want to fast. We're in a season of prayer and fasting. I really want to fast. Um, but today, and I'll start talking with him about it, um, and 
I feel like if I don't fast at this time and this link, and so I'm just talking through the pressures I feel uh, regarding righteousness and obedience and, uh, and just find the reassurance. God, it's you who's working in me, right? I, I'm not doing this myself. I don't want to work at this in my own flesh. I don't want this to be a fleshly performance thing. Would you grow me? Would you change my attitude? Because I have a really bad attitude right now. I don't want to, you know, and it, it waxes and wanes our interest in righteousness. And so. What do you think this person means by religious practice? Is that what you were just describing? I was like guessing something like I, I would guess it's like prayer, fasting, reading your Bible. Mm-hmm. That's what, do you, what do you think? I'm not sure. Like um, checking the boxes, is that, you know, or like transactional, I do this, God, so you owe me this. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm just not sure what, um, what they mean by religious practice. I had someone come up to me yesterday after my service, and they actually brought up, you know, we're in prayer and fasting, and it, to them it felt uh, like push and pull a little bit. Um, so my, but they said they found encouragement, right? Because the, the reminder of what's true of the gospel, the, that we need grace and that's what saves us. It's not the works. Um, I think I used the analogy at one point of, you know, we, I, before I get to the analogy, we have a perception of what the currency is that saves us. If I do good things, that makes me good. That's what saves us. So that, that's how we believe the world operates. I think what Jesus is telling us is that's not actually the currency that we trade on. You've misunderstood that function. So the analogy was if you were diagnosed with cancer and the solution that someone offered you was like, always follow the speed limit. Make sure you obey that law. <laughs> right? Like, it's not bad to follow the speed limit. That's a reasonable, that's a good thing. It, it will help protect you. But it's not going to stop the cancer. Um, and I think that's a little bit of the good works saving us from our sin or the religious practices saving us um, from being uh, condemned, that it, it, they're two independent things, but we've connected them because that's how we operate in mm-hmm. society by and large. So um, trying to disconnect those realities without devaluing the habits and the practices um, that Christianity, that faith would call us to, to reform us into, I guess what we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. that image bearer status. Yeah. And I mean, it's not just, um, Jesus does, but Jesus does expect obedience from his followers. It's not just expect Jesus commanded it and based and based it on his love. Like, like if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So he, he kind of goes further than what this question mm-hmm. asker is, is positing, right? Like, um, the bar is actually higher. It's, it's higher than that. It's not just that he expects You've it. heard He's, it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anybody who even looks on a woman has, lust, has right. committed adultery in his heart. Right. And, um, you know, Jesus' commandments are the same as the Father's commandments. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus and the Father are one, same, right? Yeah. Like, so it, <clears throat> it just, for me, it comes back to joy. Mm-hmm. It comes back to, like, I want to do these things out of joy and love. And like, that's, I want that to be the motivation. You see, but you're increasingly convinced the father has good intentions for you. So the commands are not burdensome. Right. And, and these are actually going to bring life because they will. Right. And so you see that shift in parenting where your kids say, Oh my, my dad's not an idiot. He's, he's actually, <laughs> when does that happen? <laughs> he's actually, um, he's asking me to do something or encouraging me to do something because it's actually in my best interest. He, he wants it, even though it's hard or difficult. And yeah. All right, let's go to the last one. Pastor Grant talked about how the thief on the cross trusted in Jesus. 
I get that the thief could do nothing to earn salvation, but some have said that his request to be remembered is what saved him. I love that question. Um, I was thinking of this type of question, actually, as I was speaking the words yesterday, um, wondering to myself if I was making it clear enough. Uh, I think my, my response to that would be it's the remember me was an expression of the work that God was doing in him. It was not the action that saved him. It was just him voicing um, that. In Kelly's birth analogy, he often talks about the crying baby after it comes out of the canal. The crying is the expression of it being alive. It doesn't actually... Cause its own life. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's more, or simply evidence of the work that was done um, yeah, Paul. For, for us to get to see. And it's beautiful that we get, got to see it and realize like, oh, that's, that's all it takes as an expression. There wasn't more required of him mm-hmm. um, or anything, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul talks about the gift of repentance, in, uh, or Luke writes about the gift of repentance as uh, Peter is uh, seeing Gentiles come to faith in Christ. And it says, God even granted the Gentiles repentance. So this, the, the New Testament, Second Timothy, Paul writes about it, how uh, those who were granted repentance, so that my point is faith itself is not a work of righteousness. That we have faith, that we repent, that we trust God, turning from our sins, that is an indication That's, frankly, the first indication that God's working in our lives, that we turn and trust the Lord. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at just that verse real quick, and look at what he says before it. I mean, they're hanging on the cross. The other thief is hurling insults Mm. at Jesus and and he's saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save or something. He's mocking him, right? They're all dying, and he's mocking Jesus. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are justly punished. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I mean, that sounds like repentance. That sounds like acknowledgement that Jesus is the Christ. I mean, wow. Like, Yeah, it's a powerful story. You know what I love about um, the reality that faith is a gift that God gives is that it helps me understand how brilliant people can resist him and some of the slowest people can embrace him or some of the most uh, powerful people can embrace him and some of the most humble people by life can resist him. In other words, it explains why um, brilliant people miss him or powerful people embrace him when you would think, uh, well, the most humble people would embrace him or the most brilliant people would embrace him. Um, It's it's really a work of God. Um, It's not a a human work. Yeah. I mean, gosh, can you imagine? Like, that guy's for sure going to die, 100%. (laughs) <laughs> like he's, I mean, he's in the process dying. of dying. Like, wouldn't you at he's least... He's still angry. Wouldn't yeah, you... Yeah. I know. Wouldn't you at least be like, uh, if this guy's who he says he is, hey, will you save me? Like, you'd have no other options at that point. That's the, your only option for any kind of hope. Right. Is that this guy is who he said he was. 
but you're just but instead instead you're mocking him that's and why just lewis always uh used the analogy he said the door to hell is locked on the inside yeah hmm. yeah that, that guy has zero desire for god hmm. powerful story when i talk about the thief on the cross it's usually talking about how you can be saved in the, you know, how we don't know the story of someone's life. And, hey, let's keep praying because look mm-hmm. at the thief on the cross. Maybe I should start considering the other thief on the cross. Mm-hmm. It's just, wow. yeah, don't be that guy. <laughs> right, right. My dad resisted Christ for years and years and years. Um, came to Christ just before he passed away. I'm going to say six months, eight months before he passed away. And um, he had um, gotten a diagnosis of a... Uh, neurological disorder. It's the one that um, Robin Williams had, mm. uh, Lewy body dementia. Anyway, and he was seeing all types of monsters in his dementia, and he had Parkinsonian symptoms. And so when he got the diagnosis, but he was still fairly lucid, I asked him, you know, Dad, does this make you consider heaven at all? You know, life after death? This is a death sentence. And he goes, no, not really. Mm. I said, oh, okay. He kind of shut it down, and he was in the habit of shutting these conversations down. He goes, then he said, don't worry, I'll probably recant in the end, Hmm. which is a legal term for Mm -hmm. admit. And uh, I said, hey, well, that makes all the difference. There were two thieves on the cross. One recanted, one didn't. And I would say, you know, a year later, he actually received Christ. So, um, yeah, George Mueller, who ran an orphanage in, in Europe, uh, had some friends that he'd been praying for for years to come to faith in Christ. And he just saw no progress in them coming to faith. And he was persevering in prayer and frustrated that they weren't coming to Christ. They came to Christ at his funeral. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. Full circle. This is just what crossed my mind to the very beginning. I've had conversations where people are like, well, if uh, let's say a deathbed conversion is legitimate, thief on the cross moment. Why not just go our whole life sinning and just because it's hell? That's exactly it. That's Be, I. I'm always like what, you misunderstood. You'll end sin. up as You're, a thief if you, on the cross. <laughs> <laughs> Does that sound like a good life? Oh, great point. Yeah, it's true. But it's it's not that like sin brings us joy and is so much fun and good and God's just trying to like keep it away from us. Um, so when when people ask that question, I'm like, I think you may have misunderstood sin and its consequences. Yeah, you still don't. You still don't get sin. You're not fully convinced it's death. (laughs) All right, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast at 630-474-6164. And don't forget to check out my (laughs) R&B Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better. Strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thank you for joining us. Thank you listeners for tuning in to the next level. prophecy.